Hello and welcome to Camera Eats First. My name is Devin. And I'm Catherine. And together we are Two Market Girls. We run a vegan YouTube channel and a blog. And this is our podcast where we talk about things like veganism, how we make our recipes, how we run our blog. We do some trending news. And we also talk about some of our favorite food content. So as part of that, we're going to do a another episode about a TV documentary show series on Netflix. Yeah. So this one is called Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat, and it's by, it's based on the book of the same name by Samin Nosrat, and it's on Netflix for, it's four episodes, but we are only going to talk about the first two on this episode because otherwise it would, this would just be way, way, way too much. Yeah. We'll do the next two at another time. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, but going into this, Devin, you've seen it already before we'd even decided to watch it for the podcast. I haven't. This is the first time I had seen it. Oh my goodness, is it amazing. I that's why I was so surprised that you've never seen it cuz it feels like something that you like you would love and you cuz you learned so much from it, yeah. right? I don't know why. I had it bookmarked for like ever. I've had it bookmarked for so long and I don't know why I never just got around to watching it, but oh my goodness, not only is it like you learn so much, but the host, Salmon, is that how you pronounce Samin. your name? Samin. Samin. Samin is so incredible. Like, and not just like, not in her ability to host a show, but her ability to go to somebody else's home, somebody else's culture, and just like take it all in and not just like, just be one of the best guests I've ever seen in those like travel type cooking shows. Right. She just has such a uh, friendly and warm presence to her that I think you as someone meeting her or being around her you can't help but feel comfortable and just like enjoy everything mm-hmm. and then i think she's really good at just interacting with people and just being so nice and she yeah. has such amazing curiosity for everything which i think is what fuels the show so well yeah this is a thing with like those food travel shows i always find sometimes like sometimes they're great but sometimes there's like this weird awkwardness between the host of the show and the country or the city or the town that they're going into because i don't know they're just so like american quote unquote and it's like you kind of don't feel like they're like a guest there sometimes but she does it so incredibly well and lets the culture and the food and the people behind the food become the star of the show even though she's technically the star of the show yeah yeah and I think that is like not only just a part of who Samin seems to be wherever she goes but also just like her background as a chef her background like her upbringing everything I think plays into how she is as a chef and as a person now and so she wrote this book like this series is based on a cookbook which is Mm -hmm. it's such a cute book because it's also illustrated so you get all these really fun drawings throughout it but it's just like packed full of information about learning how to work with these key elements of cooking Mm -hmm. yeah and her her idea is basically that once you know these key elements this is how you can make become a better home cook is understanding what these elements do and how to incorporate them into every dish you do and that's basically the these are the four pillars to successful and delicious cooking essentially Mm -hmm. when you watch the show you're like oh my god yeah it is i yes (laughs) right it's like why why have we not been thinking about it this way the entire time 
yeah like she just makes it seem like you learn so much to the point where you almost learn you're like wait how did i not know this before like what she makes it so like natural sounding in a sense that i'm like wow yeah how does everybody not know this already (laughs) yeah but i also like as i'm watching and hearing her speak it's like like obviously she's a trained professional chef and so i was like so these are all things that you learn when you're being trained but like in my head i'm like these are things that we should all just know yeah like we had like cooking like there are cooking classes in high school why are we not taught right? these like fundamentals like i feel like i shouldn't be taught how to make a pizza i should be taught what are the elements that go into good food so that i can make more than just a pizza i can make a pizza and i can make other things too <laughs> so her book and this series should be the textbook and the materials for those courses <laughs> Truly, like honestly, 100%. (laughs) But yeah, so we went, the first episode is fat, right? I'm pretty Mm -hmm. sure they're a little out of order from the title of it. The first episode is fat and like full on warning, especially this episode, it is not vegan friendly. Like all episodes aren't vegan friendly. There's meat in every episode, but like especially the fat episode. (laughs) Yeah, like when we get to certain points for for a lot of the food stuff we watch it it isn't vegan and mostly it's okay but there is a scene in this episode where i specifically wrote down the time stamps for anybody because you really really might want to skip past it well i i'm assuming we're talking about the same scene but i was watching it with hutch and i was just like i was like this is actually even hard for me to watch and usually it's not that hard for me to watch like animal-based cooking shows but like this one is this one is hard (laughs) Yeah, no, I felt the same thing. And I even felt like, do I, I don't remember it making me feel uncomfortable, but maybe I just like blocked it out and tried to forget maybe. about it. Yeah, yeah, no. So the so if you, like, again, like we said, every episode has um, aspects of like animals in food. But if you, if there's any, if there's an episode to skip, because it might be harder to watch, it's fat. If you mm-hmm. don't feel comfortable enough to watch like pretty hard scenes with animals as food. The other episodes, at least the two that I've seen and Devin can talk to the other one. The other episodes are a little bit easier to watch. Yeah. Yeah. And for reference in this episode, it's around like the 20 minute mark where you get to a point you'll know because they're on a farm and you see the animals and then just kind of skip ahead probably like at least 26 minutes and you're yeah. past all of it. If you don't yeah. want to see any of that, but we should start. Let's talk about let's talk about fat. Yeah, <laughs> which is honestly one of my favorite components of food because, and I think it's one of my favorite components of food because it's demonized so much. Like it just has such a bad rap. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, same with salt, which is the episode we're going to talk about mm-hmm. after. But I liked that we get to do these two episodes because I think as home cooks, both of these ingredients you have so much fear about. Yeah, you're so like you're so shy to put too much oil or too much salt or whatever it is or like you've already salted it so you shouldn't put a salty ingredient in it or whatever it is. But like these two episodes just like blow all of that out the window and are like, no, this is what makes good food. This is why restaurant food is so good. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I really like the way that all the episodes open with introducing the element and kind of giving a really brief description of what it brings to your food so when she describes fat she's like it's a flavor it's a texture it can add a unique flavor but it can also amplify the flavor that is already in the food Mm -hmm. itself so essentially it makes food delicious 
Yeah. Like, I think I had written something down. Where was it? It was There was a couple things where she mentioned it multiple times throughout the episode where fat adds flavor and fat also determines flavor. Yeah. Yeah. Because which fat you use when you're cooking something will determine how the the entire flavor base, right? Yeah. Yeah. So this episode is a pretty cool, like well-roundedness to fat as a whole and one of the things i appreciate about the whole series um is that she explores that like when people think fat they think like the fat on a piece of meat or oil but they explore other areas of fat like there's foods that with high content fat and they do the same thing with salt it's like that whole thing of sources of fat rather than just fat as itself and i feel like that's such something that people don't like home cooks in particular do not understand is that when you talk about adding fat to a dish it's not just about adding oil to a dish it's about adding sources of fat to a dish Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so this episode for this entire episode she travels to italy to talk about the different sources of fat the different uses of fat and she actually lived in italy for a little bit and trained in italy as a chef because she wanted to really learn about some of her favorite dishes and the history behind them so she moved to italy she seems pretty fluent in italian as she's interacting with everybody (laughs) i love it and my goodness i haven't watched a travel food show in so long like wow i want to travel so badly (laughs) like even like the scenes where she gets to just sit down with people and enjoy a meal or whatever like those are the scenes that i'm like wow i really miss traveling (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah this episode i i feel like one of the things that i also notice is that she picks such good places to go to to explain the concept of each thing so like italy like makes sense when talking about fat because there is a lot of it in their food between like cheese between oils that they use and all this stuff so you learn like almost from the experts of that uh that particular component yeah yeah so we start off with one of the iconic Italian food fats, olive oil. Which is one of my favorite food fats. It's so oh, good. yeah. Oh, yeah. But the weird thing that this episode made me realize, like when she goes, she kind of goes to an olive, is it an olive farm? Is that what you call it? I, I guess so. I don't really know what you call it. I It makes sense if it was a farm, right? I think so. Yeah. And like, or an she, orchard or something. <laughs> oh, see, it could be that because they're all on trees, right? Yeah. Maybe. Oh. <laughs> um. But you see her go to this orchard or farm where these olive trees are like 200 to 250 years old. And you see like how they get the olives off of these like high up branches and they fall into these nets and all this whole process. And I'm sitting there thinking, why did I never actually think about the fact that olive oil comes from olives? (laughs) (laughs) That was... That, and I think this is a theme that runs through her entire show is that she goes to talk about ingredients that most people just assume they're, they're just things you buy right from the store shelf they're just something you buy you don't actually ever think about oh somebody had to make this or there's a whole process that gets gets made and like has to go through people like you just kind of forget and I think that's the thing that I noticed the most throughout all of these episodes is the North American relationship to food versus everybody else's relationship to food and it is so drastically different because 
that's the one thing that kind of makes me sad that I grew up in North America is that like we just don't have this like fundamental appreciation for food in the North American culture. Like obviously there's cultures within North America that do have this appreciation for food. But I feel like it's such a far stretch from like people in Italy or Japan she goes to in another episode that like the appreciation and the understanding of where food comes from is like so prevalent. Mm-hmm. And with these like really iconic uh, ingredients, you never think about the whole process behind it. And I like that yeah. she's not, the show isn't just showing you, this is how you would cook with it. This is how you would use it in the food. But let's talk about how this is made and why this has the powerful flavor, the powerful impact that it does. Yeah. And like to the point of olive oil where that sh- the episode opens up is like people forget that it's literally just juicing an olive basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like they crush it into almost like a paste and then they press the juices out of it. Yeah. And that becomes the oil. Yeah. Like I feel like olive oil, oil in general is just so demonized, at least in North American cultures or north canada in america essentially it's just it's so demonized that you forget that it's actually a pretty natural ingredient (laughs) yeah yeah it's just from olives and you just just, press them it's like juicing a carrot except you're just juicing olives (laughs) yeah like she literally relates the process to fresh pressed juice yeah and i think that's such a cool way to like easily understand the process like obviously the process has like all these intense machines and all these things that go into it but it's literally just fresh pressed juice Mm -hmm. and she tries a little bit of like the fresh batch like they almost as if you were at a winery right you get a little glass you swish it around you take a little taste of it Mm -hmm. and even that process where they're like if it's good olive oil it should feel like fruity and spicy and a little bit bitter in your mouth and all of those rich flavors and I'm thinking to myself do I do I even know that kind of all of Definitely oil? not. Right? And it's even, I think they said too, that when you taste like a spoonful of olive oil, if your mouth still isn't like, doesn't have that oily coating after a minute, it's not good olive oil. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. interesting. I was like, I definitely don't buy good olive oil. I know that for sure. But like, it made me want to. <laughs> I know. And I mean, then after we see how the olive oil is made, we move on to a scene that, I mean, come on. We've got some bread content. Lots oh, of good bread content. Focaccia. Yeah. I love, like, if there's anything, if the, the best thing to come out of Italian food, which is like most Italian food, but focaccia is so good. Mm-hmm. And the scene made me want to make some because they also, they made it look like I could do it almost. Well, it's much easier than methods that I've seen from people in right? Canada slash US. So I was like, what are we doing? Come on, right? guys. <laughs> That's what I thought too. I was like, have I just been overthinking how difficult it is? Or have I been seeing something completely different? No, I think I think North American cooking kind of likes to make things like that seem difficult sometimes. But it actually was like a really easy process. At least it looked super easy. But again, that could come from the expertise of the people showing you how to make it. <laughs> mm-hmm. But even in that scene, like as they are making the dough and things like that, they're discussing how even if you get an olive oil from a different region, like if there's more salt in the air, like that can impact the olive oil. Mm -hmm. And I think the guy she's with, Diego, he even talks about, you know, like the best olive oil is from here, of course. (laughs) 
Yeah. Which, I mean, everybody is going to say the best of something is from wherever they're from. Because yeah. that's what they're used to eating, right? Yeah. They even, like, make that comparison at one point to, like, it's, like, the champagne. If it's only, if it's from here, then it's, like, the <laughs> champagne of olive oil, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think at some point in that scene, I can't really remember the exact moment, but I think Alina said that basically is like cuisine is defined by the fat they use. And she she talks about how, you know, with um, Italian cooking and olive oil, but like French cooking and um, butter. Mm-hmm. And she talks about Southern American cooking and like lard and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. And you're like, wow, that's actually so true. <laughs> Mm-hmm. yeah i thought that too like in some of those creamy french sauces that you make so much butter i was like you don't realize how important of a part fat plays in defining the taste of a cuisine yeah yeah um so they go through the process of making the focaccia and they're like coating it all in the oil in the pan and i so badly want that feeling of like sticking your fingers into the <laughs> yeah. dough to make <laughs> Oh, it looks and like it, such a fun process. I mean, I have made focaccia before, and I will say it is one of the more fun breads to make. I enjoy it so much. I've only made it, like, a couple of times. But, like, that would just look like the most joyful experience ever. It's just so chill, so relaxing, too. Yeah, yeah, almost therapeutic. Yeah. Just get your like, hands, like, all oily and pop holes in these yeah. dough, squishy yeah. dough. <laughs> You're having a stressful day? Just make some focaccia. <laughs> Yeah, you get to knead it, and that gets out some of your stress, and then you get the relaxation of making the whole... Oh, yeah. And then, I mean, obviously, you get to eat it. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that actually stood out to me in the process of him making the focaccia was that he did, like, a uh, a solution of, like, salty water in the holes of the focaccia to, like, brine it, mm-hmm. which I have never seen before. But I was like, oh, my goodness, that is so cool. Yeah, and did he... He say something about how that affects the cooking process? Yeah, I think it was something like it ke- makes sure the holes like the holes keep stay, their, right? They they keep their place like almost like um seals them for like in a sense. Yeah. And I was like that is so interesting and then the flavor it also affects the flavor because when you bite into one of those places with the holes, it's nice and salty and I was like, "Oh my goodness, this is amazing." Yeah, <laughs> yeah and they didn't add anything else to the focaccia. It was just the oil and then the use of the salt in it as well right yeah. it was no yeah. like rosemary or anything you might see on no yeah ones. it was just a plain focaccia which like when they cut into it i was just oh, gonna say oh it's like a cloud oh my god i just wanted to reach out and grab a piece so badly <laughs> yeah but i also found it interesting how they specifically mentioned like the focaccia from this region i think it's called liguria i think so i yeah. might be pronouncing that wrong but it their focaccia tends to not be too tall Mm-hmm. right it wasn't it didn't have very much height but it still looked nice and dense and cloudy yeah like it was probably about an inch or so maybe a bit bit higher than an inch like it wasn't mm-hmm. very thick at all but it just looked so good and i just wanted to eat it so bad <laughs> yeah and then her when she takes a bite and her expression when you hear that crunch like just her excitement for food throughout the whole show Yeah, I will say, like, even as, like, her host is talking to her, she's just, like, eating focaccia nonstop. And I was like, I feel that. I feel that, Samin. I feel it so bad. That's that's me. (laughs) Right? And you just, you feel that energy so strongly and it just makes you excited for her having it, but then you excited for yourself to have it someday. Yeah. Like, the process of the cooking made me want to eat it, but then also her excitement for the food and the fact that she literally could not stop eating it. 
also was like oh my god this must be so good yeah (laughs) and it was just so relatable you know (laughs) i know she really is like throughout the whole thing yeah um so then she moves on to making some fresh pesto yeah which is such a lovely experience honestly yeah like they're out on this like back terrace and uh, she's working with this woman named Lydia and talking about how she has always made pesto and she's doing it like by hand with a mortar and pestle grinding yeah, which up is the- like she the, she was working that I was like oh my god my arm hurts for you <laughs> I know like she kind of makes it look easy to the point where like oh that looks like fun and then uh, like but she's yeah. been doing that for a long time yeah I don't even want to think of how strong her arm is <laughs> right but she like grinds up all the pine nuts and then adds in the basil and the salt and then mm-hmm. a little bit and of oil. And it looked like the best pesto I've ever seen. Seriously. But I did really like, there's like a tidbit in there where she's talking about her children and how they make pesto. And she says, you know, I don't think they've ever made pesto this way. And it's one of those things that you kind of like, you're like, oh, so it's not like, like you would almost expect because their mom does it, they would grow up doing it too and like have this like strong, and I, I'm sure they have this strong appreciation for it, but it's kind of like you see this like 21st century or these generational gaps between two different home cooks. And I was like, that is so interesting to hear that like her kids don't do it this way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I even liked their, like some of the tools they were using too, the cheese grater that Samin used like it's got this little wooden tray underneath the grater sh- that she pulls out and that's where all the cheese is yeah. and like I know we have things that are similar to that but just that the, ki- the of character it. of it yeah, yeah. yeah. I it added so that. much yeah. yeah um but then she there's a point in the pesto making where she Samin talks about a friend of hers who got a really good bottle of olive oil for a wedding and this is the part that I think is so important for people in this episode. Like, if you take out anything from this episode, in my personal opinion, I think this is what you should take out, is that her friend got married 30 years ago, and she's been, like, slowly savoring this oil over time. Like, she didn't want to ever use it up because it's a really good bottle of olive oil. But what Samin points out is that what her friend doesn't realize is that olive oil is a fresh ingredient it has an expiry date and it goes bad so her friend for like the past 20 something years hasn't realized that she's been using rancid olive oil like that's not how olive oil is supposed to taste all of like it's supposed to be used within a short period of time because it will go bad so like even her host there Lydia you said her name was was like yeah she wasted it like she wasted this really delicious olive oil because she wanted to savor it and it was that kind of thing that I was like take away that because I don't think people realize that olive oil isn't this like shelf stable ingredient that can last forever but also just the idea of you don't have to savor everything you can just use your food in abundance whenever you want and use it because like that don't waste it Yeah, yeah. And people talk about like wanting the best quality ingredients to use, but you also have to like know how to use them. And just the fact that like that oil went to waste because we have this idea that all the expensive or fancy ingredients that we have, we have to use very sparingly to make them last, which like it's fair. It's a special bottle, but you know, use it in the first year of your marriage at least yeah but like but like understanding that if you don't use it within however many months that you're just wasting it so you may as well use it quickly and i think that's that understanding that we don't really have of food that makes shows like this so important yeah yeah and i think samin has talked about 
that as well uh, on the podcast she did at home cooking where people mm-hmm. would talk about these ingredients and she would remind them that like how to use them and when to use them and the fact that if your oil is getting too old that could also be impacting the cooking and the results that you're seeing yeah people forget that there's so much science behind cooking and there is so much um it's more than just putting ingredients together you have to think of literally everything (laughs) yeah yeah um so once they are done making the pesto then it moves into the scene that i don't think we even like i don't know what we want to say about it yeah it's it's a hard scene to watch even for us as people who watch cooking shows all the time um but it's like a butcher scene type thing and it's not fun and i like i'm gonna say like i watched the full thing and i still did learn a lot from it but it is it's hard to watch and i don't think there's really much to add because i don't want like i assume most people who listen to our podcast are vegan and i don't think there's really a point to talking about that scene (laughs) Yeah, and we watch these things to learn cooking techniques and to share those things. But when it comes to something like strictly a meat technique or product, there's not that much we can take away from it in most instances. So we can probably just move on to the next part. Yeah. I mean, the next part is also cheese. Yeah, which like, (laughs) again, this is easier to watch because it's cheese, but it's still very not vegan. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, you see these rare ancient breed of cows that make this special kind of parmesan oh my oh my god my heart i was just like they're so cute i love them so i just want to hug them so much right (laughs) they were the sweetest looking red cows and i just like oh they're so sweet Mm -hmm. but then we learned about the process of making parmesan and my goodness which i will say even as a vegan cheese making and the process of cheese making has always interested in me interested me because it is one of i think the most disconnected foods that people don't understand the whole process of making cheese it is a very cool thing even even as a vegan it is very cool to see how people make this completely different ingredient out of a completely different ingredient (laughs) yeah and like a lot of the things we see throughout the show it is such an intense process like mixing it all together to the point where you finally get this huge brick Mm -hmm. and the and the gigantic cheese cloths (laughs) that they have to use for this thing and just i even appreciating like all the techniques and engineering that has almost gone into this process is really interesting um but i think it it kind of also really shocked me uh just the quantity of resources that it takes to make all of these things that always blows my mind when you see that well this is like honestly this is a trend for me through the whole series this whole show is that you see these ingredients that people don't really think twice about and you're like how is this ingredient not more expensive to buy like this process i mean parmesan is a pretty expensive ingredient to buy now especially like parmesan from this particular region of italy but like as a whole like i was like how is this not like fifty (laughs) dollars right like the process yeah especially when you like towards the end of the scene you see this massive room of just wheels of parmesan cheese and they talk about how some of them sit there for like up to 40 months which is so much time right and so imagine having to pre-plan that much your inventory like i i don't even know how it's possible or even just like you have to wait to taste it oh my goodness i know i want to know but yeah. Samin, so Samin tried 
uh, some Parmesan that had been aged for 24 months, 30 months, and then 40 months. And you kind of see her compare the different flavors and the different mouthfeel of it. And like, honestly, like, again, obviously you're not there to actually taste it, but everything comes so through in Samin's facial expressions with every bite you're like wow yeah i i can almost feel that and i can almost kind of taste what she's tasting just because she articulates it so well yeah yeah no she really has like harnessed obviously harnessed her palate but also learned how to explain what Mm -hmm. she's tasting and what it feels like and even towards the end where she's like i can i just live here in this room. yeah but i did like i did appreciate she's really good at articulating how things taste and like textures and things but there's some moments where she's just like this is just so good it's mm-hmm. just like she almost can't articulate because it's so good and i was like i love that that is so relatable yeah i got mo- one moment she was like i am tearing up from this <laughs> which like again she has so many relatable moments through this whole series and it's just like i like i love this appreciation and love for food so much mm-hmm so then um, after that scene, we kind of, there's this interlude where she'll talk a little bit more about the element. And she talked about how there's actually five distinct textures that come from yes. cat, which I had never considered before. So texture being a thing that's yeah. like to think about when adding fat. Yeah, me neither. Yeah. So it's creamy, flaky, crispy, tender, and light. Which like makes so much sense especially if you think about it in terms of baking like when most of those things it was like oh yeah you know flaky pie crust you get that from butter or whatever i was like this makes sense but like it's never something you think about like at Mm -hmm. least an everyday home cook yeah you don't think about oh this is this is happening because of the fat in there too like we know Mm -hmm. baking is a science but you forget about like which elements are playing into which part of the result yeah Okay, so then it kind of moves into her final cooking scene with uh, Benedetta, I think is her name, the chef. Yeah, which I love this scene so much. Me too. They're like prepping this amazing pasta dish. Ragu, right? Yeah, a ragu. Um, But they're just talking about the process of making pasta um, and the eggs, which are the fat within the pasta making fresh pasta and all this stuff. But what I really appreciate about this is when Samin talks about how she will change up the making of pasta for depending on the dish. So like she'll do a hard pasta versus a soft pasta using like hard flour versus soft flour or a mixture of the two, depending on what it's going into. So like they were making a ragu, they wanted a more sturdy, hardier pasta to hold up to the intense like heavy meat sauce. But like she was talking about how if she makes a lasagna, she wants really like silky smooth pasta. So she'll do more of a a soft pasta. So it kind of like almost melts into the lasagna. And I was like, wow, pasta is so much more complicated than like anybody in at least Canada thinks about. (laughs) And I had never, ever considered the fact that there's like a soft or a hard flour that you would use to make the pasta. Yeah, no, like no idea. And it's just like you learn so much about this, what you think is such a simple ingredient, but like so much thought goes into determining like what dish will this eventually go into? Uh, how long does should it be cooked? All that kind of stuff. And I just like, damn, like I feel like I've, my education has been, sh- my education on food has been shorted so badly after watching this show. <laughs> I know, I know. And then once they move into the part where she's rolling out, the dough for the pasta i mean first of all rolling it that thin looks so difficult to do but i really liked how 
I think it was Benedetta who brought it up, how she talked about women started coming up with these different techniques to help preserve mm-hmm. their energy as they were doing it. Because if you got to make a, like a big quantity or you got to make several parts to the meal, you can't be using all of your energy just for rolling out the pasta yeah. part of it. So she even showed this technique where she had the dough almost all wrapped around the rolling pin. And she was rolling it in a very specific way while it was around the pin. Mm-hmm. And like part of that technique helps you preserve all of your energy so you can get through the entire process and it still turns out well. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's interesting to see how like they've still preserved the way pasta is made. Like they didn't turn to using machines to make yeah. their pasta, which they're I mean, depending on the timing, there is now like pasta machines that you can quickly roll out a pasta into the thickness that you need but like instead they still use their like their strength to do it but in a more efficient way mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it's even very the they, cool they folded the dough over several times and then cut thin slits yeah. like in my mind my first instinct would be oh you cut along the entire <laughs> dough as it's rolled out and then you get these really like crappy inconsistent strips they're just like wavy <laughs> yeah yeah but then they fold the dough several times and then Samine cuts it into like the pasta strips and she when she's done and she's pulling it all apart it's like well, oh yeah it's magic to me yeah and she literally just because like she puts I don't know what the flour is they use I to, think like, dust it down. soft flour she puts. I think so, yeah. Yeah. And she basically just heavily dusts the flour with that to ensure it doesn't stick. And then it's just, like, this. once it's all cut, this simple toss. And the fl- the noodles all come apart. And I was like, damn, that's, that's, that's art. <laughs> truly, truly. And then you see the whole dish come together. Obviously, there's some meat cooked in it as well. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, in the end scene, when they're all eating the pasta, my goodness, I I wanted pasta so, so badly. Yeah, you forget how good, like, people, and I'm guilty of it, too, where I, like, think, like, oh, I need something quick, I'll just make a quick pasta. You know, you think it's just this, like, simple thing. But, like, pasta can be so good when, like, nurtured and given the time and using the right ingredients. And, like, it just made me want to go into the kitchen and make fresh pasta in a pasta dish. And I was like, I want to do this so bad. (laughs) (laughs) Suffice to say, this entire series will give you a new appreciation for most foods. Yeah. And I, I appreciate, I feel like the food she really focuses on are the simple foods. Like the things that people, at least in North America, consider as simple foods. You really get to understand that, no, this isn't just something I'm buying from a grocery store. This has so much history and culture and technique behind it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that that was essentially the fat episode. Yeah. Which like, again, I really enjoyed the episode, It, but it was considerably harder to watch than any of the other episodes. So <laughs> just be warned. Yeah. Yeah. Fair. Fair. Multiple warnings. Should we move on to Salt? Which I will say, again, I've only seen three of the four episodes, but Salt is my favorite episode that I've seen. Okay, wow. I loved this episode. (laughs) It is. It's it's really good. And I think, again, like we talked about with Fat, you know, there's a lot of fear around Salt. And so you can learn even more about the way Salt actually works in your cooking. Mm -hmm. And like techniques you can use like we'll get into it as it goes but I learned so much in this episode and just like I was like wow wow what (laughs) like the whole time I was like what no way (laughs) 
<laughs> so when the episode opens, it talks about the fundamentals of what salt is. And it's important to all good cooking. It enhances the flavor or it can make the food actually taste more like itself, can bring it to life. But it's also one of the few elements that unites all cuisines. Yes. Which, like, it was something I thought about as I was going. I was like, I guess salt in, like, everything. And then she literally said it. And I was like, damn, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. No, it's it's such a like it's such a it's an ingredient no one ever thinks about necessarily as an ingredient they're just like it's just salt it's there but you learn so much about the power of salt and the uses and techniques and um science of salt in this episode Mm -hmm. and this one takes place mostly in japan and she said the reason she goes to japan and the reason that salt plays such a significant role there is because it is an island nation and salt comes from the sea and even that i was like huh that's true wow (laughs) which i will be 100 percent transparent i was like yeah i kind of forgot that salt is something you need to make or like harvest like i i kind of forgot that there would be this whole industry behind it right i just was completely disconnected from anything i just like you just salt you just buy salt (laughs) yeah i'm sure it's just like on a beach like the sand is right yeah you just scoop it up right (laughs) And then, like, on top of that, getting right into the episode, there's 4,000 kinds of salt in Japan. Oh, my goodness. I know. I literally, I wrote it down. I was like, 4,000 varieties. What? I, like, I feel like I've seen max, like, 10 in North America. (laughs) Yeah. And it opens with Samin in this store that has all of these different kinds of salt. And the guy there is explaining, like, the difference in the impact the size of the salt will make like Mm -hmm. on your mouthfeel or on the saltiness of it yeah so basically uh he talks about how if it's smaller grains of salt then the salt impact is almost immediate like you put it in your mouth and you almost immediately get this really salty feeling because it dissolves super quickly you absorb it super quickly but if they're like bigger chunkier flakes of salt it's a more prolonged effect and it's throughout like a time it's not this immediate hit of salt and i was like wow like even that one scene i was like i've already learned like a million more things that i knew about salt than before this episode yeah and then kind of later on samin also discusses more like when you use a certain type of salt versus the other type of salt but the thing i also found interesting in that scene is when they give her what looks like just like some vanilla soft serve ice cream and sprinkle some salt on top for her to try yeah well that's the thing like i feel like it's still like I think people are coming onto it more, but I still feel like you still run into people that don't understand putting salt in chocolate chip cookies. Mm-hmm. And like, even like Hutch doesn't like when I do it. <laughs> and I like do it. I was like, you don't understand. It enhances the flavor. Like it's just a little sprinkling of salt is goes such a long way in pretty much anything you could eat. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then she kind of gets into the different ways that different places make salt. So if you're in France, they make it a different way. Like Himalayan salt is made a different way than in Japan. But in Japan, they actually use seaweed to harvest the salt from the sea. Which like, it's the coolest process that I've ever seen. And I love that we got to actually see the entire process. So I think this is actually called Moshio salt that they are. I think so, Yeah. And so she goes out on a boat and she's at this point also joined by her friend Yuri, who is also a chef. They go out on this boat to harvest some seaweed from the sea. And you see her like with this long, 
hook shaped tool kind of like trying to pull the seaweed out of the sea and it does not look easy and i feel like she almost falls out of the boat yeah i can only imagine how heavy that is right but i just even in that scene i like her excitement to just try it and want to actually experience it yeah well in my head like I'd be like, oh my god, I'd be so embarrassed to try that because I know I would suck at it. But, like, she just goes for it. Yeah, and even she tries some of the seaweed, like, right as soon as the guy catches it. She's like, you want some? And he's like, no. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she's honestly just such a wonderful human to watch interact with food. Yeah, yeah. So once they've, like, caught the seaweed, they go back to the seaweed factory and see how it's all dried out and then that's how you get the salt like once they dry out the seaweed and then they actually rehydrate it almost yeah to get the salt out of it yeah it's it's such a cool process that like honestly you would have no like like if someone asked me before this episode hey how is salt made i would be like i don't know like no idea yeah and now i i'd be like well in japan and the way they make it here 15 tons of water of seawater to make one kilo of salt which like again why is salt so cheap (laughs) like i mean not all salt is cheap but like i feel like salt feels like such a cheap ingredient to buy and then you hear about the process and you're like why is this not a million (laughs) dollars yeah and i also i really like the way she describes the process by comparing it to a tea bag because they put the dried seaweed into this steeped it (laughs) <laughs> yeah, again, into the, like this cloth bag and it goes into the water. And uh, like you said, they basically steep it just like you would tea. And then eventually there's these salt crystals that form in the yeah, water. Yeah, they basically like they like cook down the water until like it's mostly evaporated. And then this, you start seeing the salt crystals form. They scoop those out and then they dehydrate them. Such which I was like, a process. But I was also like, damn, like... I, like, why did I not know there was such a process for salt? Like, I really, truly was just like, it, it's just in the sea. <laughs> I think now we're just going to wander into our kitchens and look at all of these ingredients. Just like, wow, you are magnificent. I know where you come from and all the work that goes into you. I have so much respect for you and you are going to bring so much flavor to my food yeah, now. Such a silent hero. <laughs> the silent heroes of our kitchens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um but then at the end of that whole like montage of learning how to make it and all this stuff they have sashimi and in north america at least we are very used to having sashimi with soy sauce which we'll learn later is a source of salt um but instead they just they serve sashimi with a sprinkling of salt instead of soy sauce and like samin's face when she was like oh my goodness this is so like, it's so good. It gives you the exact same effect as, like, having a soy sauce, which makes sense. You're having it because of, like, the salt. Mm-hmm. But, like, it's just, you don't, like, it's literally just a slice of fish and salt. But, like, you would think she's having the most incredible thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, probably also, too, some very fresh and, like, really good fish. Like And disclaimer, again, there's some fish slicing. Yeah. And, again, there's meat in this episode as well. Yes. If you're sensitive to that. So just a disclaimer. But man, the uh, just her excitement for that ingredient alone. It got me thinking too about the way mm-hmm. that we season stuff and we eat stuff. 
Yeah. So one of the things that I liked about this episode is that it jumps between Japan and Samin's kitchen. Mm -hmm. So the next scene you see Samin in her kitchen talking about meat. So this is one of the meat scenes. Um, And she talks about salting meat and the importance of seasoning it and salting it and when to do it. Um, And something that, again, I don't eat meat, so it's not something I would have thought of now. But even before, like she talks about how she gets meat in as soon as she brings it home she salts it and puts it back in the fridge like she lets that salt get on there for a long time to work its magic and doesn't just like salt it when she starts to cook it and i was like damn i like i would never have thought of that i know i know the whole process of when you actually treat all of your ingredients with all of the attention that they need Mm -hmm. and the impact that can have but we can't like talk about the scene without talking about samin's quote that is so you in that scene, she's also slicing up some cucumbers and she sprinkles the salt on and she goes, I don't really follow a recipe anytime. <laughs> yeah. I just kind of like the only way to know is to taste it. So she tastes yeah. a little bit of the cucumber and she's like, this needs more and proceeds to sprinkle way more salt on the cucumbers than I ever, ever would. Yeah. So I think that's also another interesting thing you see throughout this episode. Yes. I love, love, love her style of cooking where it's just cooking with cooking based on your taste buds cooking based on your instincts and like everyone has them they just don't think they have them and like ultimately your goal is to make good food so just taste it if it's good that's a success it doesn't matter if you followed a recipe or not it's something that's actually in a future episode that we'll talk about so in the later like not in this episode in a different episode of the podcast but it's something you can apply to this episode well in that scene in particular where she talks about you know, a recipe might say use one orange, but an orange is going to be different from every region of the world. An orange is going to be different from one day to another because of ripeness and things like that. So the only true way to really understand if you're making something good is to taste it. And if it needs more, just add some more. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. It's okay. Yeah. I, I, I think it's just com- something that comes with practice because you get really afraid to kind of go off of the recipe and to just go with your instincts because you don't know. Well, you're also like, you know, in your head, you're like, I'm not an expert in cooking. I don't know these things. I didn't go to school and train for years. But like, ultimately, you're cooking for yourself. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter, like, who else finds it delicious. Taste taste it until it works for you. And I think that's kind of what this episode really shines through a lot. Mm-hmm. This whole series, to be honest, but. Yeah. All right. So then we kind of, we move on to sources of salt. Which is my favorite parts of this episode because like it doesn't just like like salt people forget that there are so many different ingredients that add salt to a dish and salt flavor to a dish yeah so they actually kind of start with miso the miso master Mm-hmm. kazumi so, i think her name is yeah yeah so we get an insight into this very traditional way of making miso Uh, And you see them like mashing up the soybeans and then until it's this paste form and you see Mm -hmm. the different elements they add in for the fermentation process. So it's like a little bit of koji and salt in there, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And another process that takes years. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like they form it into these tight, tight balls, the paste, and put it in these stone jars, Mm -hmm. like big jars. And even put weights on them so it's really pressed down. Like they don't want a lot of oxygen in there at all. And that can sit for up to three years before you eat it. Yeah, I think she brought one out to taste that had been sitting two years or something like that. And I was like, damn, like 
the self-control you need to have. <laughs> like, miso is so good. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like, those things are sitting. Like, the forethought you need to have to be like, oh, I need to make miso today that I can use in three years. <laughs> like, what? Yeah. Yeah. And then three years later, it's like, oh, yeah, I made that. Wow. It's so it, like, what a good reward, at least. <laughs> like, I feel like I put something into my freezer and I'm like, oh, I'll use it later and then completely forget about it. So, <laughs> <laughs> like the idea of being so incredibly organized that you're using something three years later is like, and I didn't, I don't know about you, but I didn't see her mark anything down of like when she made it. No. So like, I don't know what her organization is, but like. Yeah. And I think just this aspect of time is something that we are seeing throughout all of the elements and all of the ingredients in the show and just gives you such an appreciation for the story and the journey behind these ingredients Mm -hmm. my goodness yeah (laughs) so then we move on to probably one of the most iconic sources of salt especially in in japan she says it eclipses them all it's soy sauce one of my favorite sources of salt 100 yeah. percent. it is so good um and you learn you go to uh the soy sauce a soy sauce maker i don't remember i don't think i wrote down what his name was did you yeah i think it's yaso yamamoto yeah so he basically um walks you through the process of making soy sauce and one of the things that stood out and it stands out throughout the whole series of the show but in that scene in particular the respect he has for the ingredients is like unparalleled like when he talks about he's like i'm just making the environment for the ingredient to be able to grow and become its best self essentially he's like i'm just creating this environment for it to do it's what it needs to do it's nothing about him like I, I know how to do this and this and this. It was like the respect that he has for the ingredient itself. Like, it's, I feel like something you don't see here. Mm-hmm. He's fully like, my microorganisms are the ones doing all the work. I'm just like yeah. taking care of them. And I just like talk to them to make sure they're doing okay. And like all, all this attention to detail and even just the history behind his entire yeah. setup well, there. Yeah, he was talking about how he makes it in the in the traditional sense of how soy sauce is made. He he talks about a little bit like traditional versus commercial and how it's made now. And that commercial soy sauce usually takes about three months from like start to finish. But his soy sauce takes years to make and like takes many, many months to make. Um, and w- one of the things that like blew my mind. So he makes it in these like wooden barrels um and it's first of all such a cool process that you would have no idea how it's made but he talks about how he there's only one company i think left that makes these wooden barrels to make soy sauce and he bought his first barrel in 2009 and he was that company's first order since world war ii what (laughs) it's just like literally it's like first of all how is that company still open but like whole like it it just goes to show how much the world has changed and how much food production has changed that there's been no one buying a traditional method to make food in h- how many years is that like this so long yeah but it also in a way makes me kind of like sad to think like what if there t- comes a time when he can't get those resources to keep like making using that specific traditional process and then we just lose that and i 
I hope that doesn't happen because I think throughout this entire show, we see a lot of the traditional ways things mm-hmm. get made. And I hope that those continue to carry through and we don't lose them. Yeah. Like, I obviously think there is a place for industrial made things and there will always be a pl- like that won't go away. But I think we still need to make sure we're leaving a place for more traditional methods of making food because you even see it when Samin tastes like a spoonful of the soy sauce. Like she's like, this is like no soy sauce I've ever tasted before. Like it is so different than something you'd buy at a grocery store now and it like you see that and you're like wow I want more people to experience that (laughs) I'm so so curious what it tastes like too yeah um one of the things that also really stood out for me and their appreciation for soy sauce is when they talk about how when you have a good soy sauce you don't need any other seasoning on your food so they have this meal that's basically three ingredients it's rice chicken and soy sauce mm-hmm. and like you watch all of their faces especially samin who's trying this for the first time and i'm like that looks like it's the best thing she's ever eaten but it's three ingredients <laughs> yeah yeah and she's even she talks about how she's familiar with they like grill the rice over like this little mm-hmm. pit and she's familiar with the sounds and scents of this grilled rice because it's the also crispy something, rice yeah it's also something that she had eaten in her childhood like in mm-hmm. pakistani culture they also cook rice that way so it mm-hmm. was a sort of familiar thing to her but when she tried it like with the soy sauce and everything it just it hits different you know yeah it's just it's a different way of doing something but like yeah I saw that and I was like wow like I don't think I've ever had soy sauce where I felt like I could just do one thing or like just have soy sauce on it and one of the things I I think that ties this whole series together is a point where she talks about she she compliments the rice and how it was made and how it was formed and i think the woman who made it is talking about how oh no they're just rough like this is they're very imperfect this is just thrown together and samin talks about how this is what i think makes food special is those imperfections that make food human and she talks about this ceramicist who like makes in like two quick movements makes this beautiful bowl but then before the bowl is actually finished he'll put a like a little finger dent in it so that it adds that human touch and i think that scene like that sums up the whole show so beautifully is that the human touch of food and that it doesn't need to be this perfect beautiful thing when you appreciate where it came from and how it's made and what goes into it it's that human quality that human touch to food and I thought like that whole that whole thing I was like oh my god yes (laughs) yeah yeah and that is just like the perfect example of the way that Samin's able to articulate like the feelings and meaning behind food oh it's just so good chills I got chills (laughs) yeah Okay, so then we it, she moves on to discussing what um, soy sauce and what miso play into, and that's that they're a source of umami, mm-hmm. which is the fifth taste. Yeah, which people, I think, and she mentions this too, is that people don't really understand what umami is or how, like, what it tastes like or this. And she explains very simply, it's just savoriness. Yeah, yeah. It's like that m- mouth feel that, like... Y- you feel like there's been an explosion You're satisfied. of flavor. Yes. Yeah. Like satisfaction. If, yeah. Like if you take a bite of a food and you are so like incredibly satisfied with that bite, that is umami. Mm-hmm. 
so as she's discussing that, like she's also visiting this fish market and they're trying all of these ingredients and like buying a bunch of elements for this dish that she's going to make with Yuri and then also her friend Nancy, who is another cook and food writer. And you see her going around to each of the... This is another scene where it's just like, Samin is just like a, such a people person. You see her going around to each vendor and just the way that she is so warm and so welcoming and so excited to hear them talk about the foods that they're sharing with her. Yeah, no, it is, again, another scene that if you're sensitive to like animals in thing, this is not a scene you're going to want to watch. We don't have the timestamp on this one, but it's a fish market. So you're probably not going to want to watch it if you're sensitive to that, that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Then it kind of cuts to her back in her kitchen, right? I think so, yeah. Where she's talking about how you consider to salt each bite. Yeah, she was talking about the sources of salt and how she can incorporate. This is where she's marinating her meat, I think, mm -hmm. right? Where she talks about how she's going to incorporate the sources of salt into every kind of layer. So she's already salted these pieces of meat that she got at the market. But then she creates a marinade that's out of like soy sauce and miso. And she's adding even more layers and more sources of salt to this food. Mm -hmm. And she's also she's cooking some beans and she talks about like knowing how much salt to add to something, especially a pot of water. So oh my goodness, this blew my mind. Right. This is such a good takeaway. The less time a food spends in a pot of water, the saltier the water should be because the food doesn't have a lot of time to soak up that salt, but it needs some of it. Right. So she also compares it to if you're cooking rice, which sits in the water for a long time don't put a lot of salt in there because then your rice will you might will not be able to eat it it'll be too salty but she also mentions like well how do you know if the water is salty enough especially in the case of the beans she's like well you got to taste it if it's to the point where you taste it and it gives you kind of like that salty taste you're good to go yeah it, it was like it, this whole scene just kind of blew me away because she was like you know you add one or two pinches to a where a pot you're going to cook rice in because it'll absorb that entire pot of water so all of the flavor that's in that water will get absorbed in but with the beans that takes about three to five minutes it's going to be in there for such a brief short amount of time she added like a quarter cup of salt it felt like to that water so like the drastic the drastic difference between the two is that i feel like people are so afraid to over salt their water that understanding that the time something's going to spend in there really matters so much i was just like wow that is so like how like it's another one of those things that i was like wow that just makes sense <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah it blew my mind so so good and i like how in this episode especially they've kind of sprinkled in these really really good takeaway tips yeah Okay, so then it kind of, it cuts back to Japan and they're actually making the meal that they were shopping for, ingredients for, and it's this traditional celebratory meal in Japan. And it starts, Nancy is making some miso hard-boiled eggs. Which, so cool. Yeah, you just like wrap <laughs> the hard-boiled eggs in miso for a bit and let it soak up that flavor. It's like a little blanket. Yeah, I think they let it rest for like four hours and then the egg just like absorbs the miso flavor. I was like... That's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> can, yeah. I, can I do that with tofu? Just like wrap tofu in like miso? I mean, I don't see why not. Yeah, I don't know. Gotta try it. And then Yuri is preparing the other part of the meal, which is a fish-based dish. But it's interesting to see how they layer each of the elements in the final pot that it cooks in. Yeah, they also make... Uh, 
It's called da- dashi. Yeah. The broth. Oh, yeah. The secret broth that becomes like a base for so many foods in Japanese mm-hmm. cooking. I like how she talks about that in this scene. And then you hear her talk about it again later when she's cooking something else. Yeah. And dashi is usually, so it's not, normally it's not vegan friendly. It's made with smoked fish and, and sea- seaweed. Yeah. I can't remember what the particular seaweed was called. Oh, it starts with a K, I think. Yeah, but it's a, it's a basically it's a kind of dried seaweed. It goes in first, and then you add the smoked fish flakes, and it's that that's that's all it is. It's basically just like a broth, a fishy broth that's added to so many different recipes and uh, meals in Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, so they again they go through the cooking process and they kind of eat the meal, and that's basically the essence of that scene. I didn't have any other takeaways from it. No, it was it was honestly just like a really nice scene to watch people cook a food talk about a food and then sit down and enjoy a really fun meal together yeah yeah in the appreciation they have for food but yeah no it's it's honestly just kind of a nice relaxing scene to watch mm-hmm. and then we cut back to samin's kitchen and she is finishing up her meal she's now joined by her friend jasmine and she's kind of like talking jasmine through some of the cooking things because it sounds like jasmine isn't as comfortable or familiar in the kitchen so so you get some more tips from Samin like even one that I took away was when she's heating the cast iron pan and she flicks the water onto it yeah and if it sizzles away right away that's how you know your pan is hot enough and I was like yeah there you go (laughs) yeah those little like little tidbits of knowledge that you don't think are like that big can actually I feel like blow people's minds (laughs) Mm -hmm. and it's even something she mentions in the a fat episode too about the pan like your pan has to be oh preheat it yeah heat your pan before you heat your oil in the pan like that's an important step and i've heard her talk about that before on her podcast as well that like not enough people do that step properly and so that can affect your non-stick surface and things like that too yeah it's something that even just from our perspectives being people who create food for the internet it's one of those things that like And I'm guilty of it too. I can get so wrapped up in, I just want to get this meal done quickly that you kind of forget that these little things can actually make a meal like a lot better. Yeah. (laughs) And more enjoyable of an experience. Like I feel like we kind of sometimes have to take away food is just fuel and you just need to eat something. And remember that food is a moment where you can kind of take time away from like this really busy hectic world we're living in and just like sit back and cook something and have fun and keep away from screens and just interact with your food because I think that's a really important aspect that a lot of North American cooking is missing is that we're just trying to eat really quickly and get something done which we have busy lives I understand why I am guilty of it almost always but like sometimes just setting aside even if it's just one day of week of setting aside time to just really appreciate your food and do a really nice slow cook and focus just solely on the food not about how long it's taking you to make it mm-hmm. i was yeah just taking time to enjoy that process even mm-hmm. though you're just gonna be you know, have snacks uh, on the side yeah oh if yeah, you're yeah. gonna enjoy the process it's gonna take longer you get hungry <laughs> definitely have snacks on the side <laughs> But yeah, this episode like just concludes with Samin finishing up that meal that she was cooking throughout the episode and then they ba- they just get to enjoy it. And I mean, it looks very delicious. It's meat-based, but still. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it honestly, when I saw that meal, I was like, wow, that's actually a really simple meal. It made me want to try and make like use the basis of that. So the marinade she used and all that kind of stuff 
and just try and make it in a vegan way. Like it's a short rib recipe, so I can't do anything close to the texture that she would get. But I was like, can I do this with like a tofu steak? Mm. Can I marinate with these same flavors and get this kind of similar result? Because the meal did look really good. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that was a lot. Yeah, I've seen. Yeah, I've seen only three episodes. I accidentally watched the third episode. (laughs) Um, But like of the three that I've seen, Salt was my favorite episode because I think like salt to me is that is really that ingredient that you really don't think about at all. (laughs) You don't think about how it's made. You really don't think about the importance of a meal. People are just like, oh, yeah, I just want to salt my food. But they forget that salt has so many different fundamentals to a meal. Um, but yeah, no, I think it was one of my favorite episodes because I feel like it's one of the episodes that's the most important to show people because salt is demonized so much and like, you don't want to add too much salt to your meal and all this kind of stuff, but like, it can just make food so much more enjoyable. Mm -hmm. And like, that's the thing too. It's not always that you're adding the salt to your meal in that, like, such a literal term it's also that you're using it in the cooking process like especially like with the beans going in the water you're not sprinkling the beans in salt you're cooking them in the salt for yeah like to help bring out their flavor too i will note not once in the scene do you see a salt shaker like people salting their food afterwards right and i think that's one of the things that people at least cooking i grew up with or like north american style cooking that people forget is that Really, if you have a really well-seasoned dish that is salted throughout the process, you probably don't need that salt shaker on your table anyways. Exactly. I didn't even notice that either, but that that's a very good point. Because <laughs> I think when someone thinks of salt, at least here in North America, that is the first thing they think of. They think of that salt shaker on the table, someone salting their food after the fact. But I think people forget that the process is more important than that after effect is salting it throughout the whole process so that that salt shaker isn't needed at the end of the day. (laughs) Yeah. And that in general is just like seasoning throughout your cooking process is something that I've taken away from all like a lot of the cooking content that I've started to watch and learn from. And I mean, this is, again, such a good series because I think it does such a good job of balancing celebrating food, celebrating the people and the memories and the traditions around food and just like straight up you get to learn a lot of interesting things yeah and samin is the most enjoyable person to watch like if there's anybody you're gonna watch embrace and learn about other cultures samin is the one to do it because she is so she's just so welcoming and like knows when to take a step back when it's not like her kind of place to speak and i'm like oh she's just so good at this yeah and I will say, if you need more Samin in your life, again, her podcast, Home Cooking, mm-hmm. that she co-hosts, is amazing. Highly recommend. Yeah, so many good tips. She has uh, that energy. You feel that in the entire series. You learn so much. I listen to it when I cook and when I shop for groceries all the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, that like sums up our kind of talk of the first two episodes. We'll be doing another episode of our podcast on the second two episodes of the series. So that is Acid and Heat, which I am like, I've seen Acid already, but I'm very excited for the Heat episode. Very, very excited. Um, but yeah, no, highly recommend if you are somebody who can watch animal based things, would highly recommend giving this one a watch and maybe still skipping that one scene that we told you about in the fat episode, because even for us, it was hard. So yeah, yeah. 
and we hope you enjoyed this episode. We are really enjoying kind of diving into this food content and really analyzing it because we already enjoy it so much. Yeah, I feel like we talk about it ourselves anyway, so we may as well bring this discussion to the podcast. So Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, would highly recommend watching more food content, guys. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It helps us learn all different kinds of things. You never know what you're going to get. But make sure you're subscribed to the podcast so you don't miss that future episode where we cover the rest of the series. And if you want to check out any of our food content, it's at twomarkergirls.com. And we are Two Marker Girls on YouTube and all of the socials except for TikTok. And we're not on Netflix. We don't have a Netflix special yet, but you know. But, you know, Netflix, if you're listening. Let's get some more vegan food specials going. Yeah, I really don't think there's a vegan food special at all on Netflix. And I think it needs to happen. Come on. I'm on Netflix. Yeah, start planning now so that when the time comes, we're ready to go. Yeah, perfect. (laughs) We'll be waiting for your call, Netflix. (laughs) We await your correspondence. (laughs) 